Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Psalm chapter 47. And it says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praise with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Bible, good, amen. If you got your Bible, go ahead and keep it open. Psalm chapter 47. It is good to see you. I'm so glad we get to start our week in worship. Anxious to see what God has to say to his people as we open his word together. Also, I've never seen such a red, white, and blue church group. So thank you for joining us as we celebrate. I've also never seen anyone clap for the colors that they're wearing to church, but I'm glad that you are so excited to celebrate the 4th of July Independence Day with us. This is definitely one of my favorite holidays. I really do love so much about it. I love that we get to pull out the red, white, and blue and wear it to church or wherever we're going on 4th of July. I really love that we celebrate this holiday with barbecue. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's in the middle of summer, but 4th of July is a barbecue holiday. I love that we get to watch parades. Uh, you're not because you're at church, but if you are less holy, you might be out watching a parade. And then I'm hoping to end the night with fireworks tonight. Now, our plans, I heard, were rained out, so we're looking for some fireworks. If you have got the lead on a good firework display for 4th of July, just tell Carissa after church where we should go. Um, but I love to celebrate everything that is the 4th of July, all of this to celebrate our freedom. And we are so thankful for our freedom, the men and the women, the countless men and women who gave their life to both earn and protect our freedom. We are so grateful uh, for that. And it's something I never want to take for granted, like where we've come from. And it's ingrained in all of us, isn't it? Like something about us. I think because our nation was founded the way we were founded, we fought for our freedom. There's something ingrained in us, even these generations later, that just longs for and celebrates and lives in our freedom. It's this, like, you aren't going to tell me what to do mentality, isn't it? And it gets down to, like, the nitty-gritty details of our life. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do because, for goodness sake, we are free. Several years ago, my parents went on vacation, and they went to a few different places in Europe, and they came home, and they brought souvenirs from many of the different cities that they had come from. And so they, we went over to welcome them home and started to see some of the, hear the stories and see the pictures, and they brought, brought all these souvenirs that they had bought for us along the way and my mom and some of the things were kind of neat but my mom takes out this this shirt she got for me and she was showing me I was pretty excited about it, it looked really nice and she was describing the shirt and then she said and this is the brand the royal family wears and I looked at her kind of funny it's like the the royal family like in England she's like yeah this is the brand the royal family wears and I said I have not had to worry about what the royal family wears since 1776 and I am not going to start now. Like, I'm in the, the details of my life. I do not want to be told what the, the royal family does. It's like when we wake up, every time there's a, a royal hiccup over there, they broadcast it all over TV. And Carissa watches the weddings and the funerals. And she sits on the couch on Saturday morning. I'm going to find anything else to do. I do not care what's going on in England, nor have I since 1776. 
Uh, Carissa doesn't think that joke's funny anymore. I'm glad you kind of do. So it won't be good next year, but this year I kind of wanted to float it out, see if anyone chuckled at it. Um, but I am so thankful for, in all seriousness, thankful for our freedom, thankful for the opportunity to celebrate our freedom. It's one of the, especially religious freedom, right? It's like one of the greatest gifts we have because we don't take for granted. We often take for granted all around the world. People are giving their life just for the opportunity to gather for worship. I mean, we struggle to get the AC on, get the county to turn the AC on for us one Sunday. The next Sunday, half attendance, right? People are dying to go to church all over the country. At the same time, and where we're going to get today in God's word, I think we're going to see that what is one of our greatest blessings can become one of our greatest liabilities if we apply it spiritually. This idea of complete and total freedom. So bear with me. If you have your Bible, I hope you do. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 47. Now we are in a series this summer, Summer in the Psalms, just an assortment of different psalms, hymns, and songs that have spoken to us through our prayer time talking about what God has to say to his people. And it's interesting, we say this, we've said this every week, but how these spiritual songs written a few thousand years ago can give us insight into the intimate nature of a relationship God has with his people. And it guides us and it directs us, it gives us a heart of worship, reverence, and awe for God. And so it is with this psalm. This psalm, Psalm chapter 47, begins this way. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And so we're going to make our way through the verse by verse today. It's only nine verses, so we should be able to get through in the next hour and a half. But the verse start, the psalm starts with this, clap your hands, all you peoples, shout for songs of great joy. It's an invitation for the people of God, and specifically in the Old Testament, but by extension as we gather today to reflect on who God is, to come into his presence with tremendous exuberant joy. And it's an invitation, it's a call to worship, but he says to clap your hands with shouts, sing shouts of joy, loud songs. The psalm starts with an invitation for the people of God to celebrate God with loud clapping. Now, this is not like the, the timid, almost awkward golf clap you might experience at like a golf match, right? Or like a play. I don't know where you go. This is like this is like a sports clap. When your team wins the national championship, this is the way you respond. It's kind of like watching the Tampa Bay Lightning with Lindsay. Like, you know, some quiet house, baby sleeping, they score a goal, all things go crazy. But that's how we get into sports, right? Like we love, we get so excited to cheer on her mom came all the way from Inverness today. So I had to work something in. But we get so excited about cheering on our favorite teams. I've used this story many times, but I love telling this story, and I have the microphone. So a few years ago, Chris and I, at the end of the college football season, went with my family to Atlanta, Georgia, for the Peach Bowl, the, the bowl at the end of the season. And we went just that year. We'd never been before because the UCF Knights were the only undefeated team at the end of the college football season. Right. This is – and so – it's an enthusiastic crowd today. This, this, bodes, this bodes well for me. Um, and so we went at the end of the football season. There was only one undefeated team left, UCF. They were playing in Atlanta, Georgia. And so we went up there, and we were so excited with the family to cheer them on. And they had a pretty formidable opponent. They had Auburn University, uh, SEC team, big school, as their opponent. And so it was a pretty good game, right? It was back and forth the whole time. I think it was one of those games. It's definitely the best football game I've ever been to in person. No one sat down the entire time, just a lot of cheering and excitement, and even more so as the game went on on the UCF sideline because UCF took the lead, and it became obvious towards the end of the game that they weren't going to give it up, that UCF was going to win the Peach Bowl, the biggest game in history. And by doing so, they were going to be the only undefeated team in all of college football at the end of the season. So no one else will give us this, but UCF claimed for ourselves a national championship 
championship at the end of that football season. But I, was, I say that because I remember just the, the joy and the excitement of thousands of people gathered together celebrating and cheering on the same team. And then there was something distinct about the, the way the cheering went when it went from cheering on the team to celebrating a victory. It was just this overall overwhelming excitement. I'm not, I'm not the most animated person in the world, but I just remember clapping so enthusiastically that my wedding ring flew off me and hit, hit the person in front of me and like cheering so loud, this shouts of joy that I left and I could barely speak. It's, this is the kind of clapping, the cheering that's taking place as the people of God gather to celebrate in Psalm chapter 47, verse 1. But obviously, this wasn't written for them to celebrate a sports team. So what were the people of God so enthusiastic to celebrate? What can we learn from them? The very next verse says this. It says, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy, this exuberant excitement celebrating, verse 2, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. He is a great king over all the earth. And so what were the people of God celebrating? They were celebrating the fact that, that God, their God, the Lord Most High, the God that led them out of Egypt, the God that they serve, was a great king over all the earth. In fact, it's, he was the great king over all the earth, that he was worthy of worship, that their God is the king over the, all the earth. Now, if we read this very quickly, we might skip right over this, but it's an interesting fact. The ancient Near East, many of the kings would claim for themselves this title. They would, they would say their name, wherever they were, they were the king of, whatever city or state or whatever, and they would say they would describe themselves as a great king. And I don't think much has changed because political leaders today all the time, they still describe themselves as the very best, don't they? Like, vote for me, I'm the best. I, I haven't been on Twitter in a couple years, but I remember uh, our last president, when he was still allowed on the Twitter, would sign some of his tweets, your favorite president. <laughs> and for 50% of the country, he was right. For 50% of the people, that was quite an assumption, right? Like, the country is so divided. But some things never change. When you find yourself in a position of power, you just kind of ascribe to yourself. You claim, and of all the kings, I am the great king. Or of all the presidents, I am your favorite president. Um, but what God is doing here, what the psalmist is doing here, is he's using the language of the ancient Near East kings. And in this psalm to the people of God, he's, he's stacking God up against all of the other kings. And he says, uh, all of these different kings that are kings of cities and states and these local areas and small groups of people, he says, for the Lord, the most high, he is to be feared. He is to be, deserves reverence and worship and respect because he is a great king. But he's a great king over all the earth. Every, every king that called themselves a great king, they had this little, little area where they could serve and where they were sovereign and where the people that they could lead. But God, he is the great king over all the earth. And what the psalmist does is he invites the people of God to look around at all the other cities and states and nations and peoples and stack God up. Where does God stack up? That This is who God is. He is worthy of worship because he is the Lord. The Lord is his name. He is the most high. He is exalted in his uh, character and his action over all of the other claims at deity. But he is the king over the earth. He is sovereign. He is worthy of our praise. He is the object of our affection and our sole focus of our attention. He is the Lord. He is the most high. He is king over all the earth. And what the psalmist is going to say is that's something to celebrate. Which, if we were completely honest, if you're coming from a church background and put your, put your faith in God a long time ago, you have no problem realizing God is a sovereign king. But if you're making your way to faith for the very first time, especially with the background of our American freedom, right? No one tells me what to do. We might struggle celebrating a king. 
Doesn't it sound a little antiquated? We think kings and castles, medieval times, things like that. But God positions himself as a sovereign king. And the psalmist says for the people of God, that is a reason for us to celebrate, enthusiastically clap with sounds, with songs and praise and to rejoice. And so we're going to see over the course of these next few verses, over the course of these next few minutes, that God is still king over all the earth. And while we celebrate our freedom and we rejoice in our religious freedom, we surrender and celebrate our life for the God or for the King of Kings. So here's the next thing. Uh, If we were to think through the lens of 21st century American politics, it seems like political people always promote themselves by Prom- making promises that they hope to accomplish someday, right? Like, if you vote for me, I will lower taxes. If you vote for me, I'll raise taxes. If you vote for me, I'll do this, I'll vote for whatever. God makes his claim as king based on what he's already accomplished. So the, the psalmist says, you know, clap your hands, sing songs of great joy for the, for the Lord, the Lord most high. He is to be feared, to be worshipped, to be revered. He is king over the, all the earth. And then in verse 3, it says this. It says, he, God, subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. And then the psalm breaks, Selah. Um, And so remember, we're reading this nearly 3,500, 3,000 years after it was originally written. And while we're still the people of God in the New Testament, this was written specifically for the people of Israel to praise God for the way they had experienced him work in their midst. And we just spent a significant amount of time as a church making our way through their story, right? We started the story of Joshua, and it picked up after God led his people out of slavery in Egypt. He had established the people of Israel as a nation from Abraham, who put, their faith in, who put his faith in God. And he moved into Egypt, where he protected them at first, and then ultimately they grew, but they were under slavery. God heard the cries of his people. He led them out of slavery. He led them through the wilderness, a season of wandering in the wilderness. He led them into the promised land. And we saw as we made our way through the story of Joshua that one city, one enemy, one nation after another, God went before his people and they fell before them because they were opposed to the work of God and they were opposed to God's people. And so the psalmist, a few hundred years later, is reflecting on that exact story that God subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. And the psalmist is reflecting, we celebrate God. He's a sovereign king. He's a great king over all the earth. We've witnessed nations who claim to be great kings fall under his feet. And you think back to the story, you got the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and all these other places. These people who position themselves in opposition to God, and they fall one after another before God. And the psalmist says, for this reason, we celebrate with claps and songs of joy a king who is on our side, who has established for us a heritage, an inheritance, a place, the nation, the, the country of Israel where his people had settled. And so for good reason, the people of God celebrated the fact that they served a good God who was their king. But as we fast forward a few thousand years through the lens of the New Testament church, we know that Jesus has accomplished every bit as much for us and some. All right, like the, the psalmist says, he subdued peoples before us, but, but Jesus, as we've already sang in some of the songs, he went before us and, and, and people fell, but the enemy fell, right? Satan fell and his tactics and his schemes, and he has given us the authority and the power through uh, what he accomplished for us on the cross to not only defeat the consequences of sin and giving us salvation, but the control of sin in our life. And we look at these enemies and think, man, it's so incredible that God would go before his people and one after another they would fall before the king of kings. 
But the truth is, God, uh, through Christ, spiritual enemies that are even stronger than the enemies before the people of Israel fell before us. And you think about one of the things that is like the most humbling thing, the most humbling thing is to watch God work through his church because we're a young church. We're, we feel like we're just starting to kind of get up to speed and we're looking forward to the fall and some really exciting things. But we have already seen God go before us in a powerful way. Chris and I and anyone that's been on the launch team, we take no credit for what God is doing here because he is doing a work we've prayed this entire time that only he can take credit for. And we have watched you and you have shared some of your stories like you have rolled up your sleeves and you have not only served, but you have gone to war against sin. Some of you have shared with Carissa and I and your community group leaders that, that sin had a stronghold on your life. You've been trying to walk with Jesus at the same time you were trying by your strength to put sin to death. But over the course of the last few months and year, the Spirit did something special in your life. And as you celebrate and worship God, he has gone to war in your heart to cut away the sinful desires that have had a stronghold on your life. And it just blows me away to watch what the God is accomplishing in our midst. Uh, and if that's your story, like if you shared it with us or if it's your story and you haven't shared this with, with us, man, we're just so proud and hum proud of you and humbled at what God is doing. If you're here today and you think, man, this doesn't, this sounds almost too good to be true. I grew up in church and for a season. I probably thought the same thing. Like, yeah, this seems like it's too good to be true, but we are watching God subdue the enemy under our feet to gain ground in our life and in our heart, and we are trusting that by extension he will gain ground on our side, on the east side of Orlando, as he goes to work to advance his kingdom in us and through us. It is a reason that we celebrate what God is doing in our midst. And then he gave the nation of Israel a heritage. He, gave, he established for them the boundaries of, uh, of Israel. But he has given for us an eternal inheritance, the boundaries of which... Uh, are stretching for eternity. He says he chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says this. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he says to followers of Jesus, sitting in a building, not anything like this, but similar context, right? Dirt floors, no air conditioning, things like that. But the people who are found in Christ, he says this, he says, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained past tense in inheritance. We've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You hear the, the word in the language of a sovereign king. His will comes to fruition so that we were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. You hear these same undertones, you know, uh, 1,500 years after the psalm was written. That God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is working all things together for the counsel of his will. It is for our good and for the glory of God. In him you also, verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You look all through the New Testament, you see that, that God has, through, through Christ, already guaranteed our inheritance in him our inheritance for eternity, that we will get to spend an eternity with the God who loves us, and that in some way that is a little more profound than I can wrap my mind around, that inheritance has started now. It's, it's a future thing, but we are living in the midst of it, and we can live with confidence. He says, uh, the song, he says, he shows our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. All of this, all that God has done for his people in the Old Testament, all that he's done for us is a sign of his steadfast love for us. 
Like we show up at church and we think, man, you know, I love God. I show up at church. The John, First John would say, says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but you want to know what real love is? That God loved us and gave his son as a propitiation, a payment that satisfies for our sins. When we think of kings and political leaders, those in positions of authority, governors and presidents and things like that, they campaign for your allegiance, pitching promises that they hope to accomplish. They may or may not. Their success record, not so great. God shows up and he says, I have accomplished all of this and more. And for that reason, we celebrate that he has been exalted as king. All right? The psalm goes on. He subdued peoples under us, the nations under our feet. This is how we've experienced God's power and provision in our life. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Verse 5, God has gone up with a shout the Lord with a sound of a trumpet. And again, it's hard to read this through the lens of the first century, but if, or, the, or before that. Um, but if we were, this is, what he's trying to do is paint this picture of a king who in this procession goes up to his throne and all the, the subjects under the king are celebrating him with shouts and instruments and trumpets. And he's saying that God is established on his throne. That it's not something that's going to be a future event, but that God has established himself on his throne. That he has done the work uh, through Christ, and now he is seated at his right hand. And I love how the Apostle Paul describes this in great detail for the church at Philippi. We have the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to encourage a group of believers. And sometimes it's called the joy epistle. We're talking today about a celebration, right? Joy and clapping and exuberance and things like that. The, the church at Philippi was a joyful church, but Paul wrote to them to encourage them. You should be more joyful, more excited. And all of that stems from what God has done for us through Christ. Hear what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following. He says this. He says to the church, he says, have this mind among yourselves, meaning like this is how you should think, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So who, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what Paul's trying to do is he's painting this picture for the New Testament church. He's saying, you need to think like this. Have this mind among yourselves. If you really want to exude joy in your life, think about Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, and he was seated at the Father's right hand for all of eternity. He was there at creation. He could not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's almost, it's almost like he's saying without his people there with him, without a relationship with his people, uh, he could not fathom sitting at God's right hand. So what did he do? Verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so he talks about the work of Jesus, right? This is what God has done. He was sitting there. He was king of kings, lord of lords, but he stepped down from his throne. He emptied himself, took on the form of man. Think about what that took, like the humility that took for Jesus. He had all authority and power, and he gave it up so he could come in the form of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, here's that king language. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And it's the same thing. It's this processional of a king that he, that he came in victorious, and Jesus won his victory on our, for us through his death on a cross, but he was raised from the dead victorious, and God took him and put him uh, in some, some way 
without getting into the theological details, higher than he was before. And how that is, I don't know, but he exalted him. So the name of Jesus, every name would bow. And the question then is, we celebrate that God is a sovereign king, that Jesus is our king, but how do we respond? Do we just, do we just walk around clapping and singing songs of great joy? You should do that. But verse 6 says this. Here's how we respond as a people. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Get the idea. Four times. We should sing some songs of joy. We'll do that in just a second. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. We spend time in the psalms because they direct us how to respond to live in light of the relationship God wants with his people. And the psalmist says, then we not only do we celebrate, we sing praises. I think there's something significant here. Obviously, at face value, we, we sing songs of praise to God. We do, we, it's why we start our week in worship, because it frames, it puts us in a humble position to make much of God, and it frames the rest of our week so that God can work through us. But I think there's something else here. He's already talked about this procession where he's been elevated as king, that he's sitting on his throne with the sound of a trumpet. The people respond by singing praises. It's almost like we just, we're supposed to acknowledge what God has already accomplished. I don't know about you. Have you ever, I think this is so funny. And it, it happens on both sides of the political aisle. This is not a political sermon at all. But I love when you like drive behind cars and you see a bumper sticker. And they, they pop up on half the cars after every election. And it says, not my president. Have you seen that? And like if you voted for the president, you think that person's a fool. And if you didn't vote for the president, you're like cheering them on because you've got one on the back of your car. But like I see that. And, and I have political opinions. You didn't come here to hear them, so I'm not going to share them. Um, but I just laugh at those things because, like, that's so dumb, right? Like, he, he is your president or she would, is your president. Whoever, whoever's in office, that's, that is your president. You might not have voted for them. You might not like it. But just because you don't acknowledge them as president means, doesn't mean they're not president. And so what the psalmist says here is we, we sing to acknowledge God for what he already is. God doesn't need our praise to move into the position as king. But we sing because we want to respond, to live our life in celebration and surrender to the King of Kings. And so we sing. We position ourselves humbly under him. Last week we saw Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about all that God has accomplished for us through Christ. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, Romans 12:1, in view of God's mercy, right? In view of all that God has accomplished in us and through us and on our behalf and is going to work through his church, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And much like Jesus did, Paul takes worship, and he takes it from singing songs of praise and clapping and joy, and he kind of raises the bar. He says, on behalf of what Christ has done for us, we offer everything we have. That's how we worship. We celebrate, but we also surrender. And then he goes on, he says, do not be conformed any longer to the, to the pattern of this world. And he says, like, you look around, and you see all these other kings, all these other people uh, positioning themselves, touting their authority. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, like, we have a, a sovereign king, and we lay all that we, down, all that we are down to acknowledge him uh, in Galatians Paul would say, I have been crucified, if I've been crucified, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. 
And it's this idea that the way we respond, the way we truly acknowledge who God is, is we just lay our life down, complete surrender. That's why when we get put our faith in Jesus and we repent, we turn away and we get baptized, it's, it's, it's uniting ourselves with Christ's death, that our old self is done away with, but we are raised to walk in a newness of life, the life we were originally created to live, that God renewed and redeemed and restored us to make possible. And so how do we respond? We respond with songs of praise, praise and acknowledgement for who God is and what he's done. But we also respond with surrender. It says God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And so as we think about the way we live our life, the way we, it goes down to the nitty gritty details, right? Like how do we spend and invest our time, time that God gives us? How do we spend and invest our money, the resources that God gives us? Are they advancing his name in the way we live life or are they advancing our life? How do we steward our relationships? We don't always think about that, but how do we steward the relationships? Are we quick to forgive because Christ has forgiven us? How do I choose and steward my career path? And you start to get pretty personal when you think about that. You really want a promotion, but it's going to make it impossible for you to serve God on a consistent basis. Have you spent time with Jesus saying, king of all the earth, like you died for me, I now live for you. How do I proceed in this in choosing and preparing and planning for a family? stewarding your friends, and then serving the church. Um, God called us to make much of him. He goes on, he says, the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. So he's saying this, this was originally written for the people of Israel, this promise that was made to Abraham and his family, but now all the princes of the peoples gather together as the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. And the psalm ends the way it starts, celebrate and surrender to the King of Kings, that the way we live life in light of who God is, is we celebrate what he's done on our behalf, but we surrender our life. And what Jesus would say is that's how we ultimately experience life. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Ephesians 3 is our verse. We, God is doing immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. But when it comes, when we make much of him, that we celebrate and rejoice that while we are free as citizens of the United States, we are surrendering to the king of heaven as or king of kings as citizens of heaven and so my challenge is just as we think about what the psalms and we think about today and we thankful and rejoice and celebrate the freedom we have and celebrate it let us know where you're watching fireworks but celebrate today and every day the work that god has done in your life in the way he has called you to live life let's pray father we thank you so much for your grace Father, we are so thankful that all these years later, we can look back at the Psalms, this collection of songs and hymns and prayers that your people put together to illustrate for us how we live life in light of who you are and the relationship you want for us. God, and we realize that as a New Testament church, we're not so different. In fact, we have even more to be grateful for. Salvation history has played its way out. And when we find our faith in you, we know that you've guaranteed for us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. Father, my prayer for us as a church today, everyone who calls Eastside home, those who are joining us for the first time, that if we've never surrendered to you, that we would realize that the way to truly experience life is to lay our life down at your feet, that we would start a conversation before we leave today about what it looks like to put our faith in Jesus. But if we've put our faith in you, if we've tasted and seen that you are good, Lord, that you would just stir something in us, that we would be overwhelmed with joy as we sing these final two songs to celebrate your work on our behalf, and Father, be moved to surrender to a King who is gracious and good 
He not only cares for his people, but he engages them in a mission that is changing the landscape of eternity. We thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.